right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the show, I have none other than the Lyle McDonald. If you guys do not know who Lyle McDonald is, well, get out from underneath your rocks because this man has been basically preaching the good word of fitness and everything that's basically correct since he started his website, bodyrecomposition.com, which has like, I think I went on it last time. It's like, you have like, like a whatever. Okay. That's a lot of articles. They're all <laughs> long and they're all really, really good. Um, it's something about Lyle is that um, Lyle, it has always had a lot of thoughts about um, fitness in general and, you know, his background as, as a molecular biologist, if I'm not mis- mistaken. Um, it's actually just, it's just excess physiology, just to be clear. Okay. okay. Um, but he's always had thoughts that are, you know, the fitness industry has basically evolved into different thought processes and ideas over the years. Uh, we know what the whole hashtag evidence based community and Lyle has kind of always been, it's always come back to what Lyle McDonald has said, you know, five or 10 years ago. This is what I've seen. So that was one of the biggest reasons why I want to have Lyle on. I just really respect his work. Uh, listen to a lot of his you know, podcasts and, um, and whatnot. So, uh, just really happy to ha- have you on. Guys, or stop. All right. I got a new puppy and he's a little bit rambunctious. All right. All good. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know me, just the, the quick presses. I've been on the internet since it started. Literally, I was there in 93 when it was beginning. So I'm now, I, I am the, the old man now. And I was there when basically everything was just bodybuilding magazines and what we, you know, sort of derisively call bro science at this point. And I was really kind of, I think, one of the first people pushing any sort of science and research that, of course, nobody was really willing to listen to. And then I watched it sort of evolve and watch everybody else come up and become more of that, certainly. You know, the fitness industry is for years, it always goes through trends and fads. And, you know, it's always had quite a bit of nonsense. Okay, get out. Both of you get out. Get out or stop it. Um, and, and I just kind of like, like, I will, you know, I've changed my opinions about a number of things as the research has developed, probably mostly about like refeeds and dieting type stuff. Um, but yeah, it seems like with every new trend and fad, it always sort of just comes back to, to where we were. Like, honestly, I don't think we've much has changed in the last, you know, decade or so with all this new research and it always sort of just keeps coming back. And I, I haven't really changed much about my beliefs about training or things of that nature in quite some time. I mean, there's been new findings, but a lot of it is just explaining what we know, why what we know works, works to, to a great degree. Like, yeah, and there's new things, a lot of stuff, you know, we'll talk about different rep ranges and low load training and BFR and all this and that and the other. But, you know, for two years, everybody got way up their butts with all the volume. And I've just watched everybody kind of, walk it back over the last couple of years to be like, yeah, why don't you just say what everybody's thinking? Well, I was yeah. right all along. So anyway, that's kind of my, you know, my background. I've watched this industry evolve and devolve and go through all of that for years and years and years. And it'll keep doing that. People get bored, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so. So kind of segueing um, off that, actually, that was, that was perfect. I want to ask you, actually, about the whole um, uh, progressive tension o- overload um, versus volume and kind of the whole in- interaction 
of you know all these different variables because you know I, I it's very common trouble here volume is a primary driver of hypertrophy um whereas I, from everything i i have seen um the main thing that does actually cause muscle growth is that tension on the actual muscle fiber um, right so i kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about not only you know why that is so important to focus on you know both as a natural or like an enhanced athlete who wants to you know, build, build muscle but right. then you know also going off of that you know how would you go about quote unquote finding like your ideal volumes to stay at or progress and like how would you adjust it for you know right. a different athlete because obviously we're slightly d- different but we're mostly the exact same yeah. Um, so like, what, what would you basically go about in terms of like explaining that to, to, to somebody? Sure. Okay. So first just sort of the physiology, right? For years, for decades, literally people were like, we don't even really know what muscle grows. I said, well, actually that's not true. You can go back to the late seventies, early eighties. And there's a researcher named Goldspink who basically wrote, uh, it was a mechanical stimulus of muscle hypertrophy. And he had shown that tension on the muscle fibers is actually what it is the the primary initiator of growth. And even the papers that are like, oh, volume, 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 like research papers, they always mention that tension is the primary initiator. And just as some, some nerdy stuff in the background, for years, nobody knew why. Right, researchers didn't really understand how could a, me- a mechanical stress, right? When a fiber contracts, it generates, and it is a mechanical stress, how could that turn on a molecular pathway? And as it turns out, well, the story I heard was that some, some uh, biological engineers came in and said, well, you know, if the muscle fibers were connected to the cell wall somehow, they would pull on it. And, that, and it turns out exactly what it is. So muscle fibers end up being connected to the cellular structure. When they contract, they pull on what are called focal adhesion kinase and blah, 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 a bunch of other stuff happens. And that turns on protein synthesis. So that's where the, the tension is really the primary initiator. And if anyone listening to this knows who Chris Beardsley is, he's written a little ebook that it is now. However, it is not the only factor that's involved, right? Because if it were, all you would have to do to grow would be to go do one maximal or you know, one maximal isometric or one, one single one RM load, right? That's going to be maximal tension. But you, you hit maximal tension earlier than that, but it's neither here nor there. And that's all you would need. Clearly that doesn't work. <laughs> so there is a volume component. There does need to be some number of muscular contractions or metabolic work or fatigue or however you want to kind of conceptualize it. And there's actually a group that, that did a paper to that effect. And they had a group, one group do like three by one RM and the bicep curl and one did three by 10. They both gained the same strength, but only the three by 10 gained muscle size, right? So there is a volume component. So they do absolutely interact. Now we have this idea that's come along that volume is the primary driver of growth. And where that comes from is that research showing that up to a point, more volume will generate more growth, right? A couple of earlier reviews said, okay, up to 10 sets. As you add sets, you get more growth. We don't really know what happens at an advanced level right now, 10 to 20 sets per week is kind of what's being being thrown around even by the people who were pushing 45 sets a few years ago. They've all, like I said, they've all kind of walked it, walked it back. And that's what I've just been saying all along. But what people forget is if you go read all those papers, um, looking at different volume and hypertrophy sponsor, any of that, 
which are all good and well. With one exception I can think of, every single one of them in the method says, we added weight to the bar when the lifters reached the top end of the range. So all these papers are basically, well, progressive overload, which here we're meaning to add weight to the bar, is built in, right? That's assumed. <laughs> Everything, which by definition, that means that everything else is secondary. It has to be, right? But because basically it's like, well, assuming that you're adding weight to the bar, more volume may result in more growth. Assuming you're adding weight to the bar, this may lead to this. That's always a built-in part of the training protocol. Now, what you would have to do to, is I guess you could do the opposite. Go, all right, we're gonna keep the weight the same all the way through and add, to my knowledge, that hasn't been done. I, I guess the study uh, by Hahn et al. that Mike Isertel was involved with sort of did that. And they kept, I believe they kept the weight the same and just added volume for six weeks. Um, but that's, we'll I'll come back to that in just a second. So that, that progressive tension overload is just assumed in all of these studies. And you can see this in any gym. Now, here I'm talking about naturals. Enhanced athletes is a different thing. It's not really my expertise, but I've talked to Broderick. I know, I know enough about it to be dangerous. Go into any gym and just pick out a couple guys. Look what they're lifting, benching, squatting, doesn't matter. Come back a year later, find those same guys lifting same weights. I don't care how many sets they've done. I don't care how much volume they're doing. They're no bigger. Now, again, when you're enhanced, the rules are different. And for various reasons, there may be benefits to increasing volume and letting that do the work. But at a fundamental level, progressive tension overload is required over some time frame. Now, this is something else I think that has been sort of forgotten in a lot of this. The whole idea of progressive overload as a primary principle of training, all it ever said was that over time, you need to increase the stress on the body to keep making progression, right? That was it as a general principle. But somehow people got this idea, right? You got the high intensity training people. Ah, you got to add weight or add reps every workout. Or you got to add sets every week. There was never a time frame. None of, progressive overload was never, you must add something every single week to make progress. That was never part of it. That is sort of a misunderstanding that comes out of that. And when you're looking at hypertrophy, when you're looking at any training stimulus, right? You're a powerlifter and I don't know how you cycle things. At any given point, once you're past the beginner level, this is gonna be a training stimulus, right? Like if this is the maximum you can handle and you're working at whatever, 80, 90% of that, just throw out numbers, right? That's gonna be a training stimulus for a while until you adapt. Now, when you adapt, you may need to do more. Right? If you're squatting, whatever it is, 200 kilos for five, it may be a month that that's a plenty heavy weight. And then all of a sudden you go into the gym, and you go, ah, whatever, I can get eight, my RPE is dropped, however you gauge it. That's when it's time to add weight. So, this idea that you must add every workout every week, even every month at a more advanced level, is a mistake that sort of comes out of that, which is sort of a side thing. But anyway, you, you, over time, over some time period, you need to add, be adding weight to the bar. Now people will go, oh, but how do we know that's adding tension? There's a whole bunch of caveats that go into this. 
we can't measure muscular tension easily, right? In a lab, they take a muscle fiber, they attach it to two little tension things and they electrostim it and they get tension or however they do it. We can't measure muscular tension. As a proxy, we use weight on the ball because that's all we have. Um, you know, and of course, assumed in that, technique doesn't change, right? Like what happens if someone adds weight to their squat and they cut depth? They may be getting less tension on the target muscles or their form on rows or curls goes to crap. Just because they added weight doesn't automatically mean that muscular tension is higher, et cetera. I wrote a really turgid four-part, six-part, 14-part series that I talked about this, right? Even again, as a separate thing, when you start looking at different exercises, there's the, there's the old saw, what will build bigger shoulders, a 300-pound overhead press or a 30-pound lateral raise? Well, number one, I have seen very few 300-pound overhead presses to begin with. What they're getting at is, oh, you know, powerlifters are good and bodybuilders are wimps. Number, number one, anyone who could overhead press 300 can probably lateral raise 100. Yeah. And what people forget is biomechanics, right? Overhead press, right? The delt, here's the lever arm. If I'm holding a weight in my hand, I've tripled that lever arm. That 100 pounds in my hand may be the same tension on the muscle as that overhead press. So again, we're looking, which is why you can't compare two people. That's one of the counter arguments. Well, if, if tension equals size, why isn't the biggest guy the strongest? Well, generally the biggest guy is the strongest. However, someone that has very short arms in their barrel chest may bench more than someone bigger who's got a flat chest and longer arms, because now we're looking at biomechanics. When I say progressive tension overload is the stimulus for growth, that is within a given individual, not comparing two people to one another, right? Just because dude can lift more or less than you says nothing, we don't know who'll be bigger. But I can tell you that if you add, you take your squat from 200 kilos for eight to 250 kilos by eight, which that would be awesome, your legs will be bigger. So we are looking at, when we talk about progressive tension overload, we are talking about adding weight to the bar for a given individual. I would also add in moderate rep ranges, right? Obviously there are power lifters, you're a power lifter. You can keep ramping up your max single without getting much bigger through technique, through neurological pathways, right? Dante Trudell, um, who, who the creator of dog crap training really summed it up, which is that hypertrophy occurs when you add weight to the bar in a moderate repetition range, right? If you're working six to 12, six to 20 reps, and you take your lift from whatever it is, 135 pound bench to 225, you'll be bigger than you are. Can I say that you will be twice as big? No, that will be the stimulus to grow. The primary stimulus for growth is you, like I said, every study minus a couple, that's built into the model because somehow researchers know, the lab coats know what the bros don't. Now, and I'll, I will initially get to your question. Let's talk about enhanced athletes and let's talk about that Mike Israel study, or the one he was involved with, sorry. It was Hahn et al and Roberts and a bunch of other people. And they basically took lifters and they ramped them from, I wanna say 10 sets a week to 32 sets a week over six weeks span is a lot. Yeah. But it was like four reps in reserve, which might as well be a warm up set. And it was with a 10 minute break between sets. So that's a pretty, I'm sorry, that's not an impressively hard workout because they were working in a giant loop. So they were like bench, two minutes, 
sorry, squat, two minutes, bench, two minutes, all the way back. So sets of 10 at a 14 RM on a 10 minute rest, that's not much of a tension. I'm sorry, that's, you wouldn't even get tired, <laughs> genuinely. Anyway, so it's found that whatever, growth did this and that and the other, but when they went back and reanalyzed it, what they found was that the muscle growth was sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, the growth of like the fluid and the non, the non-muscle fiber parts of the growth, which takes us back to that whole distinction between myofibrillar and sarcoplasmic hypertrophy that was a thing and then it wasn't a thing and now it's a thing again, because it is actually a real thing. And if you're looking at actually increasing the size of the muscle fibers, tension is what's gonna stimulate that with sufficient volume. You wanna just increase the sarcoplasm, which is fine, you just wanna be big, higher and higher and higher volumes because you're stressing out energetic pathways. Anyway, separate thing. So what can we conclude? Progressive tension overload or mechanical tension plus metabolic work is what turns on the protein synthetic pathway. As you get bigger and your strength goes up to maintain that mechanical tension, you at some point have to add weight to the bar. Again, how often? Depends. Beginners can do it pretty frequently. Intermediates can do it fairly frequently if they're eating enough. Um, what I usually tell people once they're past that intermediate level is like, look, you're, you're the weight on the bar now, it's probably a stimulus for three or four weeks. Every third or fourth week, do an AMRAP set, do an all-out set to failure or close to it. If you got more than four reps more than your goal, it's time to go up. And that's kind of as simple. So that, that's kind of the, the, the long answer the, to the question. Canticle tension is the key. You do need sufficient volume. Within that context, more volume up to a point. We don't know what that is. We've got some different models. I don't know if you want to talk about the effective rep model or that's a whole separate thing. Um, I think, well, I think there's still unanswered questions. I think just because of the way the studies are done, frequently I read them and, and you look at the workouts and go, this isn't, this can't be done. There are a couple famous workouts. One is playing a study by Brigado et al. that looked at volume and supposedly one group did squats. Eight by 10 repetition maximum, right? Like a repetition maximum is the most sets you could do, most reps you could do with that weight. Eight sets of that with 60 second rest. Show me, show me. Anybody, and then that was followed by leg press for eight by 10 RM. I don't even think that like your like, your actual like, ATP or like or all the like your, your energy stores like can actually like like it can't like it can't be done. they can't do that within the workout the workout can't be done and anyone who disagrees with me can send me a video of them completing it although I mean you might do the first set you might grind out the second drop weight by set number four you're not even getting off the ground you're not getting off the floor in sixty seconds. And when I read this, now in leg press, you can get the first couple sets, at which point you're going to crawl off the sled and collapse. 60 seconds. What that tells me is that these studies supposedly using rep max loads, they aren't. There's no way. I mean, you're a power lifter. You know what a true max lift is. I am not seeing a moderately trained college student. You know how many sets of, of squats to failure I've ever seen? Right, exactly. The ants, so don't don't tell me that these college students, their, their RM is when they choose to stop. Anyway, so you see a lot of these, the volume studies, I don't, I don't believe them. 
I don't, I don't, because I don't think the workouts can actually physically be done if anyone were close to failure. And I think what you start to see when you look at, start to look at the studies in the aggregate, the moderate, the, the more moderate volume studies, right? And there's no doubt, moderate volumes tend to beat out low volumes. It's whether the higher volumes beat out the moderate volumes. When you look at the, the ones where that sort of moderate is the best, they tend to use longer rest intervals. It's higher quality training. When you look at the ones where they need a build like 45 sets a week, or I think Borgata was like 32 sets a week, you look at the workouts and go, that training was low quality, right? Maybe you do need 20 sets in a workout if you're just pissing around the whole time. And let's face it, most people in every gym are. But if you're actually working hard, and I don't mean going to failure on every set, if you're within one or two true reps of limits, you're not doing more than eight to 10 hard sets. And it is interesting that one of the individuals who was very, very much defending the, the famous Brad Schoenfeld paper, which was 15 sets per body part three times a week, 45 sets per week. Again, it was five by eight to 12 RM in the squat on 90 seconds, followed immediately by leg press, by leg extension. All three of them, five by eight to 12 RM on 90 seconds. Show me, just send me the video, anybody. And I'll be happy to send you, I'll send you, I, it can't be done. And he even in his most recent thing, uh, not Brad, James Krieger wrote, oh, well, 10 hard sets per workout is probably about the limit in terms of stimulating a maximal growth response. Well, huh, six to 10 sets twice a week, 12 to 20. Yeah, that's what I was saying three years ago because that's what the re and he even wrote somewhere that when the rest intervals are short and the training is low quality, you basically need more sets to make up for it. And I think that, I think that makes it possible to include all the research. The super high volume studies, the training is low quality. It has to be because the workouts can't be done <laughs> anyway. So that's sort of the, the over. So again, just talking briefly about enhanced, I don't think tension is as important because you have the chronic steroid stimulus doing the work. And like, and I know Roderick Chavez, who's a friend and I know um, he's sort of one of the, the experts I'm aware of, you know, his model is you ramp volume. I think it's, what is it from 80 to 120, whatever it is. But basically you just let the volume do the work. Yeah. Because when you got the drugs and there's even, I think an argument to be made that when you're enhanced, not to add weight too quickly for the simple point that you tend to, my understanding is you get so strong so quickly that you get hurt, right? As great a bodybuilder as Dorian Yates was, as much as he did train to failure, he did get injured a lot. And I think that is the, that is the danger, like it is very, you know, of adding tension. But going back one more, and then I'll get to your other question. If you look at the commonality of great natural bodybuilders. Not only are they generally very strong, maybe not, they're not powerlifters strong because they don't practice, although you can usually convert them into powerlifters pretty easily. But more importantly than that, they got much stronger over their career. Whereas they were squatting 135 when they began or whatever it was, now they're squatting four or five for us. You can't help but have bigger legs. Now, in enhanced athletes, that's not always. Ronnie Coleman was super strong. He's also kind of a walking train wreck. I mean, now, like I said, no disrespect meant, but 
he paid the price for the constantly heavy training, the 800 pound deadlifts, the crazy squats. But you've got other body enhanced bodybuilders that really don't train that heavily because they don't need to. And probably in a lot of ways, probably shouldn't. So anyway, that's kind of the, the overarching answer to all of that. Um, so the next question then becomes, how do you determine optimal volumes for any given individual? And I don't know that there's an easy answer. I know some coaches like Eric Helms have kind of a, a heuristic on that of if the volume you're doing, you're recovering well from, add more sets. And I don't know if I agree with that, right? I, I'm sort of of the opinion, do the least amount of work you can do and still make progress for a couple of reasons. One, you need to go have a life. I, it was... It, unrelated to bodybuilding but still you know uh, i was listening to some podcast powerlifting coach whose name i now forget and the interviewer asked him what's the most important thing you've learned over your in like the last 10 years and he said you don't need as that you don't need as much volume as you think yeah. and i think there was i think that was there was my and to which i just thought well yeah um I, i'm more I'm towards the lower end of volume recommendations. Like not, when I was younger, my own training, I went way too low, the other extreme. Um, but there's a happy medium. Um, even, even when you're enhanced, I think there's just, you can do too much. And, and, and again, if you don't need it, why? So, so I think we can say- yeah, As one question for, for, for yeah. that, um, lots of times, like for, for, for example, like, you know, I used to, for, admittedly, I used to absolutely be like the whole volume ramp guy. You know, yeah. I, I thought, oh, yeah, like this is like what we should what we, what we do is hashtag evidence-based. But as I've gotten to be a little bit more uh, savvy with my own coaching and my own training, a lot of what I do with, with, with my clients is pretty auto-regulated in the, the sense of, you know, right. like, and this is kind of very similar to like your generic bulking routine where you have, look, we're going to have this, this baseline, uh, you know, strength exercise that we can always use that you know because obviously not novelty is like you know you can always go from like a front squat to like a back squat and be like sure. oh like i'm getting stronger but having one exercise pretty consistently across the block and then having that be like, like the main baseline driver of stimulus and right. then the only difference is with that and then and that works this works really great for progressing from a beginner to an intermediate to an advanced because as a beginner you don't need to do chest flies Right. And then maybe when you get more advanced, you need a lot more stimulus, more of that stimulus at lower fatigue costs. Well, maybe I do add in some more, you know, um, volume work via a chest fly on their chest. And then as an right. advanced athlete, the only thing that really changes is like, I just, it's just specialization. Specialization. It's just sure. adaptive, like proclivity overall, it's just lower. Um, right. So a lot of the times, like I find most of my clients in practice, man, we're not going much above 10 to 15 sets per week. And if you look at even like these, these quote unquote high volume guys, like Alberto Nunez, uh, yeah. who's talented as that, look at, look at his spreadsheets. I don't see above 15 sets. I don't see above 15, 15 sets for like really any sort of like power lifter even like, and the only time it is, is like, it goes above that. There's like one day where it's like RPE six or less. And that's for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, they're just, yes. And it's like, it's almost like GPP work. It's like, just get some volume in. Mm -hmm. um, on that note, just because I am nothing if not a petty asshole, uh, Brad Schoenfeld has a new book, Max Muscle 2.0. Now this was Mr. 45 sets per week. This was blow the volume recommendations out of the water. And um, A, he mentions when he talks about volume, eh, 10 to 20 sets per week. If you actually 
I, I went through, because I'm neurotic, I went through the entire workout cycle. It's a very sort of generic cycle. The average sets per week is nine per muscle group, nine. And the deload's at six. There is one cycle where it goes to all of 14. And then there is a two-week cycle where it goes to 22 sets per week. What happened to 45? What happened? He doesn't even believe his own numbers, right? He, because... <laughs> Even funnier, back when all that was happening, and it was like more volume, more volume. I would never, some people were like, I would never add weight to the bar because it would cut the amount of volume I could do. I'm just like, oh God. And everyone was like, Lyle's just a low volume guy because I was only recommending 16 sets a week. Holy and I'm just like, you do realize that every intermediate workout I've ever written, my generic bulking routine is about 14 to 16 sets per muscle group per week is higher than what's in Brad's book. So apparently he's a book. Anyway, that's just me being a petty a-hole. So yeah, I think if you actually look at what most of these guys did through a majority of their career, it was prop because you just can't do it. You can't do more than eight to 10 heavy sets per muscle group. Yeah, you can go piss around for 20 sets. Watch most people in the gym. That's exactly what they're doing. Like six reps in reserve easily. Like they're not even pushing anywhere close to like at my gym now. On any given day, if I see two or three almost challenging sets of everybody in the gym, that's a lot. Because I've, I've said, you know, if you're ever in Austin, trust me, I can, I mean, if I really want to be mean, I can drop somebody in two sets. I can make it so they cannot get up off the floor. I'd done two all-out sets of 15 with a five-minute break. And at that point, you go lay down for a little bit, Right. I don't, I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying that like, trust me, if you do eight to 10 truly hard sets in a workout for a muscle group, you won't be able to do more and do that twice a week. And boom, you're, you're, you're about in the right spot. Um, What's I funny too, know. is that if you look at um, how uh, Mike Israel's and like Jerry Feathers, like Charlie Jung's, like, you know, like the, the team full wrong, wrong crew, uh -huh. um, which like, I mean, admittedly, I, I have a lot of respect for them for like other reasons, but yeah. Their volume and their workouts is not high. It, it's not, and they are on, and they are enhanced athletes. Like I, right. I looked over like Mike's like peak workouts for like back and like across you know both of his sessions. Yeah, he's not going above sixteen sets really because there, there's no need to. Like his chest right. is like not it doesn't go above ten. And I, and I think a lot of times when you see those high set counts, like even look at you know Arnold and those guys, they were counting what really amounted to some warm up sets. Right. When you actually like when you actually look at the hard sets, um, there weren't that many of them. And they weren't, you know, really crushing themselves to limits. They were also doing it once a week. And again, I'm like, all right, they were doing 20 sets once a week. And for most, probably better off doing eight to 10 hard sets twice a week or every fifth day or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, beginners, I start with low volume. Right. Obviously, you're in the learning thing. We're talking like brand, you know, total, total beginners. You don't need much volume. You need to practice. You need to learn the exercises. You need to actually learn to lift properly. And then it should, even in that situation, like I was going to take somebody from like beginning lifter, like day one to advanced, like to the end of their career. For natural is about four years of productive lifting. Sorry, any natural lifters listening to this, if you put in four years of productive training, that's it. You're done. You're not gaining anything else unless you decide to be uh, supernatural, as I heard it put one time. You know, so you might be doing, you know, three sets per muscle group three times a week. Really, just learning the movements, 
I would be like I said, learning some focus, gradually increasing the intensity, figuring out what exercises are good for a given individual, right? We could spend hours talking about exercise selection and most of what's written in this industry is the same. It's either like macho BS, squat, bench, deadlift, overhead row, blah, 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 or just whatever the nonsense is. And it's like, it depends on the person, right? During the intro, you mentioned you've got, you know, long, long femurs. For quad size, I imagine squats are a terrible exercise for you. Most of my training approach for is like as a powerlifter, I do comp squats once a week. Right. I use crazy bar squats the, the, the other week, but then, and, and I, all I do is seven sets of, of direct squat work, which is very low. But then the rest of my, you know, six to eight sets is leg press, belt yeah. squat. Exactly. That's, I've got a, my, my female lifter, Sumi Singh, same thing. She's five, five and her legs are like just ridiculous. She's so tipped over when she squats. She just does a lot of singles every week. We get the volume on other stuff that takes her low back out. So anyway, the point of this being that with exercise selection, there is an individualized issue and we're talking about hypertrophy. We're not talking, if you're a power lifter, you got to squat bench up. An Olympic lifter, you've got to clean and jerk. You got to front. You got to do that. If you're a strong man. There's probably some movements that need to be part of it. You know, you've got deadlift for reps. You've got the log press and things of that nature that need to be. But from a hypertrophy standpoint, we already sort of established the stimuli are tension and being able to enough metabolic work. That's it. The exercise choice for any given individual is only as as good as it allows you to apply progressive tension overload. And metabolic work. So part of a beginner phase would be, yeah, would I teach them the basics pretty much to everybody? But again, if somebody came in and I saw that they were not going to be built for squatting, I wouldn't even bother. I would just start them on a leg press. Even in that vein from the beginner stage, there is research that simpler movements generate hypertrophy earlier because of course they do. You don't have to go, like if I'm teaching someone to squat, it may take me two to three months to get them truly competent enough that I can push them. I can, I wouldn't do it. I could take someone in a light press and day one, I could destroy them safely. Like I wouldn't do it, but I could. I put them on the leg extension. I could torch their quads. I could make it so that they could not push down the gas pedal. Their quads are so tired. Can I do that with a beginner on the squat? Not for months. So there's even from a hypertrophy standpoint, think an argument can be made that you're better off like just doing away with the big three or the big five or whatever but that's just anyway so that would be the beginner stage nine sets gradually building up intensity over the first three four five six months i would probably have them do a phase and i'm going to just because i tend to get misrepresented i would have them spend some time actually training some movements to failure not because i think failure is inherently better not because I think failure is magic, because you need to know where failure is to know where two reps short of failure is. Mm -hmm. That people, this is, we had big old, big old drama last year, I'm not gonna get into, but somehow my statement that you need to know where failure is to know what two reps in reserve are, got interpreted as Lyle advocates failure. No, in fact, if you look at the grand majority of my workouts that I've ever written, I absolutely advocate the opposite. Like, will you hit failure at some point? Sure. That's fatigue. Like you're doing four sets. You might hit failure on the last set. It's fatigue. It happens. 
I'm not telling people to chase failure, but you do need to know where it is. So with a beginner, you know, months six through nine or whatever, I would have them training safe movements. Again, I've squatted to failure. I'm sure you've missed singles, which is technically, I don't know if you've ever done like reps to failure in the squat, which is a whole separate thing. And I truly do not recommend. Yeah, I've done I it. I, I've done it till I got stapled at the bottom and couldn't get up. And I don't, I don't recommend it, but it, it can be done. It shouldn't be done by most people. Um, you ever done a set of 20 reps in the deadlift? No. I did it once. Uh, like rest pause. Like I actually did a rest pause, deadlift. I do not recommend that. It's it a great like way. To peripheral get. fatigue, like crazy. Oh my God. It's also a great way to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, I had good levers for deadlifting, but I could maintain my form. Uh, I don't anyway. So yeah, I would spend two or three months. And at that point, probably time for split routine, right? That is one issue with full body workouts, which is where beginners should generally start is you can't, the workouts just get oppressively long if you try to start adding too many exercises, right? Best place to start because you can learn the movements quickly. The quicker you get through neural learning, the faster you get to actual growth. All right, so now we move to, you know, an early intermediate phase, some sort of split routine. I'm, I like upper lower. A lot of people hate upper lower. Although the criticism I've gotten for, for what I call my generic bulking routine is hilarious because I've seen both sides of it. Right, basically, because it it has the dreaded arm work at the end. Like not a lot. If you've done a lot of pushing and a lot of pulling, you don't need that much direct arm work. You just don't. One of the biggest sets of arms ever built on a guy. He did three heavy sets of, bite of arms every fifth day, but that was after like eight to ten sets of heavy pulling. So on the one hand, people have gone, "Uh, you don't have to do arm work to get big arms. Just do the heavy compounds." That's just dumb. Some people can get away with it, and most cannot. In my experience, most people don't. And then other people are like, eh, it's not enough arm work. You can't win. <laughs> you, can't make every, you can't make everybody happy. But at that point, once they get past the beginner stage where they were doing, say, nine sets a week, movement to split routine, that allows us to add a second exercise per muscle group um, and maybe bring them up to, I don't know, 10 to 12 sets. I don't think you need more than that at that point, especially as they're learning to work harder, right? If you're doing five to six heavy sets, by which I mean one to three reps in reserve, true one, to, and that's work sets, right? That doesn't include warmups. Yeah. It's probably enough. And one thing I'm a big believer in, and I think you find that most, like, it's weird. This is really common in sports coaching, but in bodybuilding, it's just like more is better. And a lot of it's because you follow the pros. If you jump into high volume training immediately, what do you do when you plateau? I mean, where, where, do, you, where do you go from there, right? If you, if you started doing 20, 30 sets a week and, you, and that stopped being enough because you've accommodated to the load, all right, what do you do now? Go to 40, 50? Like at what point, at what point, whereas if you're still growing on 10 to 12, and recovering and being able to add weight gradually over time, stay there until it stops working. In the, you know, true intermediate stage, I'd probably just bring people, yeah, most people up to 14 to 16 sets. You know, you're looking at six to eight heavy sets per workout, which again, I think for most people, if it's truly heavy sets, yeah, you want to go piss around for 15 sets. That's a whole different thing. You're just using volume to make up for sub-intensity work. 
um, and then just wait for the adaptation. So there were there were there were two people. Well, there was a paper and then a rebuttal. This was two years ago, and so Mike Isertel and two and his co-authors wrote a paper, Strength and Conditioning Journal, basically recommending the the, the volume ramp that go from 10, 12, 16, 18, 20 sets over the course and then back off. And then Eric Helms and two of his co-authors, whose names I apologize for forgetting, kind of wrote a rebuttal to that and said, well, the research doesn't really support that. Just because workouts are like, well, 8, 16, 24 gives you different growth, doesn't support the ramp. And basically what they said was, you know, pick an optimal volume, either based on, you know, scientific theory or individual history and stay there, wait for the adaptation, then add a little bit of weight. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at at this point. Like you just sort of wait, wait till you adapt. And then you add a little bit of weight and start over. And you do that for a while, probably a year. You can get people I know have run, you know, that, that eight week cycle over and over and over again. Um, and you can change exercises every cycle. I'm not a big believer in changing exercises for hypertrophy frequently um, for a number of reasons. Cause it just like, whatever, if you want to change your, the second exercise, like you do your heavy compound push, whether it's a machine chest or flat bench or whatever, if you want to do flies today and a pec deck the next day, I don't really care. Right. Just go, just go do the work. <laughs> Right. With my lifter, I call it donkey work. I'm just like, she's like, what arm exercise do you want me to do? I, I don't care. What are, you, what are you in the mood to do? Like, just do that. Like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the big picture to me. And then once you get to like advanced intermediate, so that's maybe year three, you're probably getting too strong to go heavy twice a week. I think that's where, where people have run into problems with that. There's a guy on my forum years ago. He was very advanced. He's like, I'm going to run your your bulking program. I go, please don't. I go, you're way too strong for this. And eight weeks later, he came back and said, uh, your workout sucks. You suck. My joints hurt. I go, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? I said, this isn't at that point you switch to a heavy light. Like Lane Norton has his fat per whatever it is where you've got, basically you have a tension day and you got a, a, a metabolic day or a work day or however you want to conceptualize it. I don't care. Um, you get your, tension on one day and you do the volume work on the other day. And that's year three. And at that point you're getting into where I start getting into like specialization cycles because I think the other place advanced, advanced bodybuilders, the problem they run into is at this point, you're very strong. You're probably handling a, a fair chunk of volume, right? 14, 16, 18 heavy sets per muscle group. Some people find that legs need a little bit more. I, I don't, that's always been one of those empirical anecdotal things that legs need a little bit higher reps, a little bit more volume. Hasn't been studied really systematically, but I think there's probably something to it for whatever reason. Um, but you can't do that for every muscle group. There is no way when you're at that level of strength or development that you can train chest, back, shoulders, biceps, triceps, quads, hamstrings, calves, say eight muscle groups for 18 heavy sets a week and make progress on anything. And that's when I move people to specialization cycles where it's pick two muscle groups, usually one upper, one lower. You're gonna hammer the hell out of those and maintain everything else with low volumes. 
And of course that's becoming a, a popular thing. People have finally realized Lane Norton wrote last year and he was like, people don't realize just how low of a volume you can use to maintain a muscle group. Really? Huh? That sounds so familiar. I was saying it 15 years ago, right? So you do just, you just destroy two muscle groups, just work the, I mean, if you want to do a little bit of extra volume, go to 20 heavy sets per week and everything else, three or four sets, you will maintain your muscle mass so well doing that. Do that for four to six weeks and then rotate and do that for a year. And then you're done. That's it. You've, you've gained everything, everything there is to gain as a natural once you went through that, that cycle. So it's sort of a, well, and I will say this, and this is something that <laughs> said this on another podcast. It was like, what's the most, like, not something controversial. I'm of the opinion that as you get more advanced, you need less volume, which goes against what everybody says and what everybody thinks. But my rationale is, as you get stronger, as you are lifting more, the overall stress of that workout is higher than it was at the intermediate stage. Something tells me that Ray Williams squatting a 1,000 is not doing as much volume in a given week, unless it's very submaximal, as the guy squatting 600. I could be wrong. I would love to know what he actually does in the gym. But... I think as you act like beginning should be low and ramping up intermediate to advanced intermediate, I think should probably. And then as you get to a very advanced level, I think you probably need less, which is kind of where the specialization comes in. We're throwing more volume at these specific body parts, but you're probably doing less volume per week overall. Because you find that with like powerlifters too, like as you get to be like more advanced, it's just like, you can't push every single lift like that hard. Like you're already that strong, like the actual like overall right. percent of stress is just that high. So you kind of just need to pick and choose like uh, what lifts are your best and what, which, like, which one do you, you want to push the most? For a great right. example of this right now is Chance Mitchell, who's a 93 kilo lifter. And he just found the formula for his deadlift and he's just pushing that. And then bench and squat are just cruising, but that's how his total is going to go up. And, and that's, and I don't know if this is, I've heard of lifters doing this. I don't know if it's in common use, but that they will, those sort of rotate cycles where they will push one lift and maintain the others and sort of, ro- I mean, of course, it, I don't know if the people listening to, you know, to your, how well-versed they are in powerlifting, but you, you run into a situation that it, it is such an interesting sport to me because A, the lifts contribute so, such different amounts to the total, right? Like probably the worst thing to be <laughs> as a high level power lifter is to have bench be your best lift for the simple fact that no matter how far you push your bench, someone can come along and crush you with their deadlift. You simply, you can't make it up. Like you can't make up a weak deadlift because you're not going to put that extra hundred pounds on your bench that you're lacking. Whereas the lifter you're talking about, okay, he could put all his energy into the squat and add five kilos, put all his energy into his bench and add two and a half kilo, whatever, five kilos, or he can hammer his deadlift and probably add 20 kilos to his total. That's literally what's happening right now. Um, and from the standpoint of winning on the total, you know, not winning the individual events, that makes absolutely the most sense, right? Like why you might as well put the energy into your dominant lift 
to because that's where he's where he's going to make the most progress. I read the same thing among triathletes, right? You run, you can't train, swim, run, bike all at the same volumes because you are now doing, you know, 60 hours a week of training. And at the highest levels, they will pick one, focus on that for eight weeks, bring it up a couple percent, bring that to maintenance because it gives them a little bit more, you know, whatever, to put it in voodoo Soviet terms, more <laughs> current adaptational reserve and adaptational energy to put into, into the event. And I think if you look at the older school lifters who did really push everything up at once, A, they were very enhanced. Let's just put it that way. Some of the numbers I've heard for, for what they were. I am told that one top power lifter took like a gram of fast acting testosterone the day before me, a gram. And those guys lifted fairly low volume, right? If you're only doing, you know, two to three truly heavy sets once a week in each lift, you can probably, and, but again, when you've got that much juice flowing into your system, you can probably get away with it. But others, and by natural bodybuilding especially, you just can't. You cannot, you cannot train eight muscle groups for 18 heavy sets a week and do anything but make no progress in any of them. So you're far better off taking six weeks to just blast it. So anyway, so there it is. There, there's your career. Start at a lower volume. You're going to build it up as you get fitter and stronger and need that volume for optimal growth. And then as you get into specialization, technically your weekly volume goes down, even if the per, uh, so the guy you mentioned chance, as far as his, is he putting more proportional volume into his deadlift? Um, from what I've block? seen is he's doing more assistance exercises primarily that would contribute to his deadlift. Gotcha. He has a quote unquote special exercise he's doing that he's not telling anybody about. Well, sure. But, it, but it, which is essentially the same thing. Right. Rather than doing one lift and one assistance exercise per lift, he's doing his deadlifts and like three assistance exercises yeah. to build whatever bottom, middle, top, however he's approaching it or however his coach is approaching him. So, yeah, in essence, he is throwing more volume at that, but he can only do that by reducing the others. Yeah. Which, again, that makes so in a sense. Yeah, his deadlift volume is higher, but his overall volume probably per week may actually be a little bit lower. Um, so yeah, so it's like, you know, with individual stuff and let's not forget low volume training will make you grow, right? Even this is something that even this has come out of the studies. And this is something I think we need to always consider is we always focus on optimal, maximal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even in the low, low, medium, high volume studies, low volume group grows. It may not grow as much. And you always have to ask, okay, is doubling my volume to get 25% more growth per unit time worth it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I, for most obsessive lifters, it probably is. But the reality is you're going to get your genetic limits eventually, no matter what you do. You can either get to a little bit faster now and hit a plateau sooner, or you can get it a little bit slower and have a life outside the gym. Sort of depends on the person. I think it's also worth noting that there are low volume systems that make people really big. I think dog crap is one of them. If you're familiar with it, just, it's a rest pause system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maya reps by Borge Fagerly. I probably mispronounced his name because I always do um, is another one that has more to do with, you know, more time modulation, but regardless, like, I mean, it's even with the frequency thing, I've been a long, long held believer of like, twice a week, every fifth day 
And, you know, yeah, the research, ah, frequency doesn't matter. And you look at the studies, I'm like, one of them compared three sets a week to one set three times a week. Yeah, I'm not surprised that frequency didn't matter, but who cares? I, I don't, we're not dealing with three sets a week when we're talking about this. Um, genuinely speaking, when you're looking, you know, because if there is a limit of quality work per workout, right? Like, let's say that 10 hard sets is all you can do. Maybe it's a maximal physiological stimulus. Maybe it's all you can get through before you're just doing junk volume. Well, if you want to do more than 10 sets a week, you're going to have to train more frequently than once a week. I mean, what I was going to say is these the study like that have done this at higher volume is like once a week training will make you grow. It's never been my favorite, but it will work. I think to a degree, a distributed volume works better. Certainly, I think that's where powerlifting certainly has gone to a higher frequency. You know, you can because you can only just you can only do so many heavy sets in a workout. You just can or can't or can't. You can only do so many heavy sets. And if you want to do more heavy work or just more work, you're going to have to have a second day, whether it's a heavy light or a heavy medium light or whatever it is. Um, where was I going with this? Um, I have now completely forgotten. What are we talking well, about? I can kind of, I can kind of sister in like uh, another another way because I think you, you know you you that made a give a great like synopsis of like what volume does and et cetera like how to progress the things. In terms of nutrition during this stage, um, say you have somebody the male who's around twelve percent body body fat. Um, how would you and you you've written a great article on this about how many calories are needed for for muscle growth. Right. Um, how would you periodize essentially? Um, somebody's new nutrition to maximize that muscle and that strength grow, um, while, you know, say they want to stay within that 10 to 15% range throughout their entire career. Like how would you coach somebody with nutrition? Actually, hang on before I will answer that. I do want to go back through a couple of things I did want to touch on was okay. a, I am not generally for the volume ramping approach, I'm not saying, but there are places where it can be valid. One of the things I don't like about it, like, okay, start at 10 sets, which I think is a suboptimal volume and ramp it up to, you know, that maximal recoverable volume. I don't like the idea of let's see how high we can take volume before you break because most people break <laughs> in like, it's one thing if you're being coached, right? If you have a, like, I know some coaches will do that and they'll be like, all right, two week shock Russian microcycle. We're just gonna, we're just gonna blow you out. We're going to try to, functionally overreach you if you've got a coach with a good eye who knows to pull you back that's one thing i have too much experience working with people in the real world they won't do that they'll go to 20 sets and go oh i still feel good i still 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 progressing still feel good until they blow up they won't hit 20 and then pull it back they'll just ramp and ramp and ramp however there are times when that can be valuable it's actually probably more for strength training, right? Like you get to it, there, there are times in, in the weight room where like if you're doing heavy triples or whatever, you can't just add weight. You just can't throw more weight on the bar necessarily. There are older systems like triple progression systems where let's say you're doing three by three at a given weight. Rather than trying to add weight, you know, you add another set of two at that weight or a single and then a double and over time, you work up to say six sets of three. Well, by the time you can do six sets of three with that weight, you're stronger and you can probably drop back. There are also times there are movements that are very hard to progress the weight on 
usually, it's usually smaller muscle groups, smaller isolation groups. And a lot of it has to do with our weight increments are so bad, right? Like if you're trying to increase a lateral raise and you're doing 20, a 20 pound dumbbell in each hand, the next jump is 25. You're adding 25% to the dumbbell and you will go from 12 reps to no reps or 12 reps to six really ugly reps, right? Like in situations like that, you may have to either build the reps up, right? Like, okay, you're doing four by eight, you may have to build it to four by 12 before you can add weight, or you might have to add sets just because you can't add weight. If you go from four sets of eight with that weight, and by the time you're doing six sets of eight, you can probably add weight and you might get two or three decent sets or what, like there are times to do that. Um, I heard girls talk about this a couple of years ago and he, he, and he said, yeah, he said generally he doesn't like the volume rounds. Like just find an optimal volume and stay there until you adapt. But he pointed out in COVID days, let's say all you've got is a 20 pound dumbbell and a 50 pound dumbbell. Progressive tension overload's a little out of the question right there. <laughs> You're not gonna jump 20 to 50. He goes, yeah, there, you just may have to do more volume with the 20 as volume is a type of overload until you're able to handle or whatever. So there are places to do that in most circumstances. That's really, and I just, I really, as I've gotten older, and I think most of us do this, you get more conservative. You just realize that trying to push the limits of what you can recover from, you eventually find out the hard way that you should have been doing a little bit. Because an optimal volume over time will get you to the same place as the maximal volume. It may take a little bit longer, but I guarantee you that being injured will make it take even longer than just keeping your volume in your pants. Anyway, so I just wanted to sort of touch on that. All right, as far as nutrition, the number one thing to realize is that the number of calories it takes to build muscle is depressing, depressingly low, especially if you're looking at natural rates of growth, right? So a beginner, if they're really lucky, might gain one to two pounds of actual muscle per month in their first year, right? Women about half it. So how many calories does it take to build a pound of muscle? You know what, it's a good question. And I've looked for 20 years and never found a particularly good answer to, it. and not for a lack of looking. I've seen it estimated somewhere between 2,400 to 2,700 calories per pound of muscle. It's somewhere in that range. When I've talked to other people about this, they just kind of assume 3,500, you're always gonna gain a little bit of fat. So let's just say it's 3,500, just for the sake of it. Well, if you're gaining a pound a month, 3,500 calories a month is a little over 100 calories a day surplus. That's depressing. <laughs> Two pounds of muscle, you're looking at, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a medium apple. Like it's really not that many to maximize growth just because the rate of growth is so slow. And you can't, you can't really make it happen faster by jacking up your calories. There was a paper by Garth that even looked at that in advanced athletes. And they either had them sort of just eat semi-normally or they had them like deliberately go 500 over maintenance. And the 500 over maintenance did gain a little bit more muscle in that time. And they gained like three times as much body fat. You just can't, you can't force feed muscle growth. So you're really not looking, you don't need much. Um, like I said, even at, at two pounds a month, um, you know, you're looking at 200 pounds, you know, 7,000 calories per month. That's about 250 calories a day. You just, you just don't need that much. 
um, as a natural. Now, when you're enhanced, I think the equation is probably very, very different because the rate of growth is so significantly higher. Um, so, you well, know, Bader, beginners- Bader kind of has like a little bit of like a, basically like, like what he does is basically, he says like, what's like a realistic body weight? I like the end of like a, a course. And he's like, we're going to eat to be at that body weight in X amount of time and then just recomp there. Yeah, and that, yes, and that probably is easier than being like, just, because you are, the other reality that people don't like to, guys, stop, don't really like to accept is you will grow faster if you gain a little bit of body fat, right? Now, I'm not saying GFH, right? I'm not saying Lee Priest in the off season for anybody who's seen that famous picture. Uh, like he, he was notorious for just getting, you know, 30% body fat and somehow 12 weeks later, he would be contest ready because T3s are is, is this crazy thing. Clen T3 and GH are hell of, are a hell of a drug. Um, and he just had that ability to do that somehow. So yeah, so like, you know, you can eat a little bit more, but you, like you don't, you don't need the pint of ice cream. You don't need, you know, what was it, the Dave Tate pizza challenge <laughs> or the Snickers bar every hour to keep insulin up or whatever. What like, yeah, if you're a super heavyweight powerlifter and it doesn't matter how much body fat you're carrying, absolutely. But as a bodybuilder, even even if you know, if you just want to look buff, um getting you know, GFHing it just isn't isn't the way to go, right? There was, I guess they did a round table on the whole bulking thing and body fat. And this is like last year. And they're like, yeah, you can, you know, you can get up to 20% body fat and it probably doesn't really impact your rate of muscle growth um, for physiological reasons. But at some point you got to diet and to drop from 20% to 10% body fat takes a really long time. Not to mention that the average person lifting to be buff for whatever personal or social or whatever reasons probably doesn't want to spend six months walking around looking that way. So what I've long recommended is to pick sort of a body fat percentage range. You know, I usually use 10 to 15 to 12 to 15 for males. For women, it's like 20 to 24. And like, you know, lean out a little bit. So you're, you know, you're not. And then do a couple of gaining cycles. And, you know, and how long it'll take you to get from 10 to 15% depends on how crazy you go with the food. And unfortunately, a lot of people do. I always did. It was great. It was, man, I love eating that much. but that year I had to spend dieting to lean back out certainly wasn't worth it. Um, so, you know, do two or three gaining cycles and, and then either do a recomp or diet down. I know mini, mini cuts are kind of back in, uh, back in vogue, I think, where you do, you know, a little two week short, short diet. And basically, as far as I can tell, most people use, you know, two weeks of my rapid fat loss handbook will get you, we'll take the body fat right off. Um, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of other strategies where you eat a little bit more on training days, a little bit less, a little bit more so that you can cluster calories. Find and that's that's like, like in terms of like training day versus rest day nutrition, I've heard, I've heard so many different opinions on that. Yeah. Do you think that's, that's like even worth it in a surplus or maintenance stage? Because I feel like there's more like, I feel like that's really only something I find an application makes sense with like a deficit. Is because I'll say that you're yeah. a performance athlete having a little more, more juice for the heavy workout. Yeah, and I and well, and a you've got the problem that most people train more than three days a week. Yeah. So that 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 immediately there's also even if you say you know look at the data it's like ah protein synthesis stays up for 24 to 36 hours like it's not like the adaptation stops 
and, and the concern I've had, and I've talked to some of the other folks, you, you know, back, back in the day, the, the, I think there is a danger of it potentially harming adaptations because they are like, it's not like there's a switch. It's not like, all right, you trained 36 hours later, boom, you're done. Now you can go back into a deficit and try to take the body fat back off. I don't know that that's the best way to do it because I do fear that it might, it might hamper adaptations. Um, you know, there's been Fred Hatfield way back in the day at reverse cyclical dieting. You did five days of overeating and then two days of dieting on the weekend rather than the old cyclical where you ate on the weekend. Um, you know, you might be able to put in like Friday's your last training day, maybe Sunday you could have a deficit, but unless you're really pigging out, you just shouldn't be gaining body fat that quickly. I'd rather someone fully recover and make the gains over, you know, those two, maybe three full gaining cycles and mine usually run you know eight weeks two week build up push hard for six weeks back cycle for a couple weeks push i know broderick uses longer cycles but that's enhanced it's a different situation where you can push longer you know sometimes you can go to 12 so you get some nice even you know two week run up plus six weeks hard is an eight week cycle it's two months two plus 10 12 week cycle depending on the person um and then when you need to do a couple of weeks of short dieting, right? Because you should only be up two or three pounds of body fat. You can take that off pretty quickly and then do it again um, so that you're not, you know, I think you, you also find sort of tying into this. If you talk to even most natural competitive bodybuilders, especially as they get more experienced, they realize the key to making gains in the off season is to embrace the fluff as they like to put it. They realize that staying lean year round, really lean, hurts their gains more than it helps. Because you just, you can't, you can't grow. You can't grow on wishful thinking uh, and, and nothing. You can't do it. Um, and I know there's all these lean gains approaches and, and trying to avoid it. Yeah, don't, don't get fat, but do that by not having an excessive surplus. What I generally just tell people is like, look, find your maintenance, eat that on your training days, have a post-workout drink. You're done. Like, yep. that's it. Have your couple of, have 50 grams of carbs or 25 grams of carbs, 20 grams of extra protein after your workout or during or whatever you want to do. And um, there, that's, that's basically, you're doing all you need to do to grow maximally. And then as you get more advanced, it's even slower. I mean, you, you hear from these advanced bodybuilders, advanced natural bodybuilders. And man, they're just like, yeah, I clawed and ground and just to gain two pounds in a year dude, find a better hobby. Like, I get it. I know that sounds super dismissive, but I'm, I retired from sport long ago and you just like, how much work are you putting in for talk about diminishing returns? Maybe if you're at the elitist of elite levels, right? If you're an elite power lifter and working 16 weeks for that next two and a half kilos is gonna win, is gonna get you the record, by all means assuming you can even get there, like by all means, but I'm sorry for the average person just trained to be buff, to spend a year trying to gain that, that last pound, dude, there's better things to do with your time. So basically um, what, I, what I'm, I'm hearing just to like summarize that is the energy needs essentially to build muscle are low. And my assumption with that primarily is, is that obviously, so if you're on maintenance calories, 
you, you're going to, by, by definition, have enough to support adaptations and actually like get those strength adaptations. But because muscle growth is actually an energetic, you know, a demand. Yes, it's going to be on top of that. Yes. You need a little bit extra. Little bit. In that case, you know, add on like a 200 calorie surplus. Yeah. Um, you know, some some people can get away with, with a little bit more. Like one of my, my friends, Max, is natural. Um, he's done like his first like real like mass gain phase. He was gaining about a pound per week and didn't really see wow. like no noticeable but like body fat gain, like wow. pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, and like that does happen. And so like yes. lots of times I do think that it does depend on also like like everybody has did it has different just genetic partitioning rules. Absolutely. Like, that's what drugs artificially do. That's what people don't understand. It's like what the drugs are doing is they're basically enhancing your partitioning ratios towards um you know, muscle. And that's exactly what training does. And then you add on, you know, some other exogenous source of, you know, of that it's like, okay, like now you can gain like times two. Like it's, it, 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 again, it's all about genetics, but it, essentially that's why I feel like it's so important for, for people to go throughout those first four years naturally. So they can, they can actually understand like, do I have good genetics for muscle growth or not? And that's why I also too, you know, to your, your, your point, you're only getting about one or two pounds of muscle past that point that's why a lot of guys just do powerlifting after they kind of just sure because then you've got the base to build good strength yeah because like kind of like what like what you said earlier it's like you can easily turn a good natural bodybuilder to a good powerlifter because they have that muscle and, and actually and, by, and i would say and vice versa uh there's a girl here this several years ago great natural female bodybuilder just perfect lovers quads from hell some guy body star was like you should power lift in like two months, she was just crushing it because she had perfect levers. She had the muscle mass. She needed to teach her nervous system how to do the lifts, which is really, it is sort of maximized. But by the same token, I think you can take powerlifters that have kind of maximized those neural pathways. Because when you're stronger, you can lift heavier weights in moderate repetition range. And especially when you take guys that have like really tried to constrain their weight class and maximize yes. their strength and you get them to start eating a little bit and training in a little bit higher volumes, either per set, you know, higher repetition ranges, they blow up like they, cause they've got, they've met. And I actually do believe sort of as a separate topic for natural bodybuilders doing the occasional maximal strength phase helps because hypertrophy training fit like whatever if you're power building and doing lower ish reps you may not need it but doing like three weeks to just do some fives maybe some triples and really top up those neural pathways and when you go back to the higher rep stuff you will be pushing able to push heavier weights in a higher repetition range you don't need much it's also like, it's just you know, like, like a novel stimulus because essentially like linear periodization like one of the reasons why it just, just works just because you're having a slightly different stimulus a different average intensity yes uh, yeah, exactly. And it's just, yes, it, it's as much and it gives you a break. There's also, we, you know, we don't have time to get into this. We talked about the volume thing. And do I think there is a place for doing a couple weeks of, you know, quote unquote, pump training or sarco? Yeah, I think there absolutely is. A, and this ties into what you're talking about with the genetic thing, which I do want to talk, sort of touch on, is we know that there's different components of muscle size and adaptation right? You've got the muscle fibers themselves, which are generally primarily stimulated by tension. You've got the sarcoplasmic component, which is the fluid, mitochondria, glycogen, everything else tends to be more stimulated by volume or quote unquote pump training, right? If you want to increase energetic stores, you stress the energetic systems, 
with higher volume pump training and lower, lower repetitions. You've got capillary density, mitochondrial function. You've got all these variables that doing a couple of weeks of just, you know, that pure pump training, I've speculated, maybe we reach a point, right? Maybe you do the tension work and you're just like, oh, I'm plateauing, right? Maybe the muscle fibers have just gotten packed as densely as they can. Now you need to do the pump training to expand the balloon right, to get that sarcoplasmic growth to give the fibers more, maybe. And I have a feeling that when you, whenever you hear something, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I was training heavy and I hit a plateau and then I moved to some higher volume training and I just blew up. I think what's happening is maybe they're targeting what has now become the limiting pathway. Also that higher rep work every once in a while will give your joints a break <laughs> and will make, will make your elbows and your knees and everything very, very happy. Um, but what I wanted to say is when you talk about the genetic thing, yeah, there's nutrient partitioning in, and there's a genetic component to that people with higher testosterone, lower cortisol, better insulin sensitivity, higher type, you know, stuff like that tend to naturally partition calories better in the muscle. Anabolics do that for you and they do it 24 seven. They go, ah, we're just going to send calories where they belong. But there's been a lot of research lately that there are hyper responders to training and hypo responders. Some people just get, and it's, and the variance is huge. Like, so what they'll do is they'll take someone because for all we've done for years is we compare people. You and I train at different volumes and we look at the response and go, Oh, you grew better. And you train at the higher volume. Well, maybe, maybe genetically, you were more likely. So what they're doing now is they're taking individuals and they're saying, we're trying the right leg with a high volume, left leg with lower volume. So you are your own control. And what they found is that the people who grow well to higher volumes grow better to lower volumes too. And the people who grow badly to both should pick a, should pick a different sport. That's not what the researchers say. That's what I, but there can be a tenfold difference. A hyper responder may there can be a tenfold difference between two people than within the same individual might even be more than that yeah so it's absolutely huge so people who are going to grow well are going to grow well pretty much no matter what they do and people who are going to grow poorly should seriously pick you should pick a different sport and they are the ones like your friend a he's probably partitioning calories really well he's also tall he's like six foot one and he went right. from 170 to like 185 and i think that's wow. I, I i think that potentially height has something to do with that too like um yeah it's yeah i think you've got the neat variable where some people as they raise calories their body starts to kind of ramp that's, up that's me and, and so and that is one consideration right is like all right let's say you've listened to me and you've added 200 calories and after a month you haven't gained any weight that's well me. guess yeah guess what your body has ramped up spontaneously or unconsciously has ramped up neat you're gonna have to go up until you start seeing that upward trend in body weight. And you may find my mentor actually was like that. And he ended up having to eat, you know, at a fairly low body weight, four or 5,000 count because his just, his, his energy expenditure was, he was chasing it. Yep. Calorie intake. So you may, you basically may have to keep raising it till you find a sweet spot. And it just, that depends on the person, you know, that's yeah, what like sometimes like, you know, it's, it's like, sounds like some people, they don't have much, much of a neat response. And literally it's like, I add 200 calories. Like one of my clients is just, just like this and just like linearly goes. And then like me, it's like, I know I have to add 500 off the bat or nothing's going to happen. Like right. just nothing. And it's just, just, just because like, and I know it with like how much I fidget and like 
it's like I'm trying to sit down. I'm like, I have to like stand up and like move and like jump around and like, and then like, yeah. when I, when I, like, like when I train, it's just like, I like, I'm like moving more like faster. Like I'm like walking around in, in, in between sets and I'm like, it's kind of the same thing with like on the other way, like I adapt downwards very fast because my body is just, just like screw you, man. But right. Well, that, that's, you know, Sumi, my power lifter, she gets like 20,000 steps a day. She cannot sit still during workouts, between workouts, all day, every day. At 114, she maintains it like 3,000 calories a day, right? It's like damn near 25 calories a pound. Whereas, you know, I usually throw around six, you know, 14 to 16 as a rough I'm, name. I'm, I'm, exa I'm exactly 25 calories per pound too. Yeah, which is, I mean, they will, I, they will like, that's near a theoretical upper limit of what the human it's body is. Yeah. And it, it gets old, man. Like I'm sure you, you get to the point, like eating that much gets really, well, really sucks. People are always like, oh my God, you're eating 4,500 calories. That must sound like fun. I'm like, dude, I fucking hate cereal. Yeah, exactly. And, and years ago when I, I did, I went through the, 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 the the bulk the bulk phase it was a mistake but i was like man after six months of eating four or five thousand cal and i was i mean just just powering it down and it's like i don't i don't want to eat anymore i'm just god i'm tired of this and i mean i can't imagine these guys who are having to do you know six seven eight thousand calories a day i mean but basically bodybuilding you know your career is training and eating and i guess enjoying yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you is just curious about, because I get this question, do you find that you make better strength gains by having a slight surplus, like outside of just trying to gain weight or get your body weight up? Do you find that even a little bit of extra calories helps you make faster strength gains? If we're just looking at it from a strength perspective, objectively, um, no, as long as I'm not in, in, a, in a deficit. Um, but over time, as I am gaining body weight and the leverages are improving, um, I do find that bench yeah. press starts to, to feel better, but it's interesting because when I, I just, just got sick and I lost, you know, you know, 10, 10 pounds and now it's like seven, like what's, what's interesting is that because I go, I got kind of bloated with, you know, gaining weight, that's what happens. Uh, right. now like my, like my, my bed sections, like where I'm used to it and like my squats and my deadlifts feel better. Right. And uh, that's something that I've always been very adamant about, about with powerlifters is you don't want to gain to the point where, or like, like to, to the extent that you're messing up those leverages that are just so right. precious. Um, whereas with the bodybuilder, it's like, who the fuck cares if I, you know, add two inches to, 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 to my, my, to my waist, that's not going to affect like sure. my, 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 you know, my goals of gaining muscle. Um, but everybody's different. Like I've seen some of my clients who are just like, I give them a slice of it's just like, wee and like, for, like for me it's like i do think there's probably like a little bit better of like a recovery cost but like above like you know me gaining half a pound per week i don't go above that like on all on, on average and you know everybody also you know and i i i'm i'm had the same fallacies of like you know the initial like like water weight gains like two to five pounds like ah like i freak out and eventually but just like after that point like if i'm getting above half a pound like even when i was a beginner I, it's just that it, it's just that it's always been that way it will never change and i found that with basically every single person I've, I've ever worked with or i've talked to past maybe their first three months of training yeah um, it's they're like old papers and i just don't they're like we gave them 500 calories extra a day every day and we saw like you know pure muscle gain over the first eight weeks and i'm like 
I don't believe it for a second. I, I there's no way you cannot synthesize. It's like maybe like, like minerals and like water if you're like super, super, super depleted. But like, right. yeah. It, yes. Or, you know, there, there are a couple groups that are like, oh, we took this kid and put 40 pounds on him in two months. And I'm like, yeah, if you take an underweight high school kid and, and very and, and like, you, like, like my little brother, like Jacob, he just started training. Uh, you know, he has the, the peeler deadlift genetics, went from like, sorry, I was like 225 deadlift for, for three. Then he's doing three to 365 for, for three, wow. three, three months later. And then he's like gained like 10 pounds of body weight just, and he's leaner. It's sure. like, you know, like that's also a, a, another, another thing. And like, you know, you throw it and that's essentially what I with throwing like GH does with like these, these enhanced guys. So it's always really, really uh, interesting to see the whole, whole genetic response. But again, yeah. it's like past that point, like when you're not growing, um, you know, like it's just kind of the, you know, kind of the, the same thing for everybody, everybody. But uh, anyways, I wanted to thank you so much for yeah, absolutely enjoyed it. This was exactly like what I wanted to, to, to go over is basically just how to progress awesome. throughout your training career from a volume training perspective. And, you know, I, th I thought we all got really great. Like this is basically a, Anybody who wants to know how to get jacked, uh, this is how you do it. So I really want yeah. to appreciate, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for your time and ask Absolutely. people where, where they can, can find you. Uh, they want to, you know, so I know you're doing consultations. So. Yeah, so my website, as you mentioned, is bodyrecomposition.com. I've had it since like 96, right? Like I've, I've had this domain forever because I was on the internet for so long. It's got like 400 articles on anything you can care to name. Um, I've actually stopped updating because I just don't have anything else to say at this point. Like I refuse to reinvent the wheel every week. Like that is what I've seen as, as really, this is what's going on on YouTube. People to like people inventing new exercises and a new, a new training. You can get a new training program every five minutes on the internet right now, which is also as a tangent, probably one of the, it distracts people from what matters. If people would just pick basic training, and do it for eight or 10 weeks and then do something, they would make so many better games. Anyway, my store is store.bodyrecomposition.com. That's where all my books are. I do do consults now. Um, I've got a very active Facebook group also called bodyrecomposition.com. Um, I'm there daily. A lot of smart people. We've got some competitive bodybuilders, a lot of prep coaches, a lot of uh, successful power lifters. People, I tend to attract people that are just like weird experts in their own field. Like five physios, including two physicians who do like surgery, like orthopedic surgery, women, like people ask these weird disease questions. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this. We will have three people that have had it and two people that are medical. Like it blows my mind every day. Um, I have a, I have an Instagram at McDonald Lyle. It's mostly dumb jokes and memes or me being pissy with people. I don't, I don't Instagram. I'm just too old uh, to, to have made that shift. So, um, so that's it. Uh, that's where you can find me. And yeah, no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, always good to talk about. And also to get, I enjoyed getting your perspective from both the powerlifting and because I'm not really tied in with the powerlifting world. So I don't really know what people are doing in the modern world uh, or in the modern era of training. Um, very interesting to me that people are sort of doing specialization more yeah. frequently to bring up, you know, just play to your strengths. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. So yeah, that was good. I enjoyed it. Thanks, man. I'm glad you're not sick anymore. Yeah, me, yeah, me, me too. Stay safe out other guys. But uh, thank you yeah. so much for tuning in and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks, guys.